0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? You guys doing good? I'm doing really good. It's been a great morning. I'm looking forward to getting into the Word of God. Uh, The title of the sermon today is called In Every Detail. And and it's really interesting. Mark will tell you this, what happens sometimes, we literally plan out our year of what we're going to preach on, how we're going to do this in advance. I I would say that what, what we're doing in Ezra right now, was probably last September, October, somewhere around there, when we completed what our schedule was going to be. I had no idea. And the irony of it is, we've never preached from this before since I've been here. I've been here 19 years. We've never preached in this section of scripture of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And in the entire time that we've been here, how ironic is that we have a pandemic, right? that takes us out of church for a short period of time, and then we get to come back. And isn't that the message of Ezra? Ezra is, we get to come back after being in exile. The only time that we're preaching on Ezra the entire time I've been uh, pastor here is when we have broken away, and there's absolutely no way I could have known that back in September of last year. God is amazing, isn't he? And we're going to see a lot of that today. That's that's the cool part. It's not even part of my sermon. I just thought of that sitting down over there. And I was like, dang, God, you're in the middle of all of this. And me and Mark get to see this all the time. Little things like that or, or songs that the praise team does and we haven't talked with them at all, didn't tell them what direction we're going with our sermon. And it could go a thousand different directions. You never know what happens with us. Being in our minds is a scary place. And yet we come into this place and it's like, that was perfect. I mean, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, oh, that's a great song. It's the perfect song for what we're talking about today. God in in these little, as Mark would call it, um, and, and it goes totally with, with what we're going to talk about today in Ezra, so, so bear with me concerning all that, because we're going to see some amazing things from the passage of Scripture that we studied this week, Ezra chapters 1 through 6, and we'll kind of be going through different places in that that place. Um, but to give you the full idea of what had happened and how we got here, it's going to take a few minutes, so this will be a longer than a two-minute testimony, that's why I included it in my sermon, Okay. But back in 1997, I had been called, and I knew that God had called me into ministry, and specifically ministry to youth, and uh, I was in the middle of going through that at the time, um, so I was actually in school in 1997, and while we were there, I had a very strong conviction that, that I believed God wanted me to come out to New Mexico to minister, Uh, very strong conviction. Now, to understand my past, I moved around a lot when I was uh, a youth. I I moved from uh, about 10 different places by the time I was 19 years old, and all in different states. So I'm in one state to another to another, and New Mexico happened to be one of those states that I came to during my high school years. And I believed that after I came to know Christ at 19 years old, after all that moving around was done, one of the things that that In my spirit, I just couldn't handle was the, I don't know, the Bible Belt culture, the cultural Christianity, the idea that everybody's a Christian whether they're a Christian or not. It it just didn't sit well with me, and it was hard for me to to be in a place like that. And I'm not criticizing the Bible Belt, and I'm not criticizing the other. It's just a cultural uh, landscape that was very unfamiliar. And in all of my moves one of the things that stood out to me was that when I lived out in New Mexico, I didn't have a Christian witness for Christ. And almost every place else that I went, some I can remember somebody witnessing to me in some form or fashion, taking me and my family to church or giving me a card. But when we lived in Santa Fe, that didn't happen. Not once. And For some reason, that stuck out out in my mind, and I thought, God, does that mean you're calling me over to a place like like this? Because there's a starker contrast, and it's something that that I'm praying about, and, and I want to be able to check out. So in 1997, we were blessed with a bonus from Bank of America. I was working for Bank of America. It was Nations Bank at the time. And we were blessed with the bonus, $1,500. And so Shannon and I rented a car and drove out here in 1997 while I was in college. And we prayed over three cities. We drove and prayed for Albuquerque. We prayed for Santa Fe. We prayed for Taos. Only three cities we prayed for in all of New Mexico. Went up to Colorado Springs after that. And then, because we had a friend who had recently graduated and got uh, hired in, in one of the many ministries that are up in the Colorado Springs area, and then drove back home and I was still in college, still going to get my youth ministry degree and continued to pray that God would open that door for me. Well, two years went by we still felt the conviction that God would have us to go there got my, uh, got my uh, degree it 's in my office and it 's one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine Okay, so I celebrated like Prince told us to. Um, some of you got that joke, and some of you, that was way over your head. Anyway, so um, so 1999 happens. I get my degree, and a week after I get my degree, we find out that my wife is pregnant with Victoria. And I believe that God did not want me to go through two major life changes at the same time. It's a major life change to have your first child. Maybe, you know, after three or four or six or ten You know, having a child is not that big of a deal to walk through. But this was number one. And so I wanted to honor my family. And so I I made a commitment that I was not going to go seek out ministry until I had been a father for at least six months. So as to not have too many major changes happen at the same time. After six months period of time, the searching process happened in earnest. And I started trying to look in New Mexico within the denomination that I had graduated from, which was a Christian and Missionary Alliance background. And they had um, really covered their youth ministry need. In general, youth ministry has a lot of positions open in a lot of different places. But because they had focused on that in their denomination, I ran into the same problem many of you run into when you get your college degree. They want you to have experience with that college degree. How am I going to get experience if you're not going to hire me? But you needed a degree in order for me to hire you. But I need the. It's the same thing in ministry. The same thing. I just want to let you know that at least it was for me, and it was unexpected because there were supposedly so many openings for something like this. And so we looked throughout the, uh, um, we looked throughout the Christian Missionary Alliance to see if there were places that was open to having a youth ministry. You want to know the irony of the Christian Missionary Alliance? They had churches in every state in the nation except one. Can you guess the one that they didn't have it? New Mexico. They thought it was a foreign country. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, But they did. They had it in every place but New Mexico. And so I found myself putting out, you know, this is where I graduated from, so we'll look that up. We uh, went to look at a part-time place up in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. Nothing happened as far as that went. And I just kind of threw my resume out on the whole western side of the United States. And on top of that, I started getting antsy after about five, six months of not finding anything. As any of you would be probably the same this is what God called me to do, this is what I need to be doing, and so I started looking for similar denominations, you know conservative Christian denominations that that would have the same type of doctrinal views that that I believe that the Bible says and puts forth, and I started going cross denominationally to a lot of different places all over the western side of the United States, except for California because i didn 't want earthquakes, just being honest. I didn't want anything to do with California. And where California is now, I'm kind of glad that I'm not there. That's, that's just me personally. So, so we did all of that. And then afterwards, one of those places, the only church in New Mexico that responded was Heights Christian Church. And so when we got the response to Heights Christian Church, along with other places like Sholo, Arizona, and Black Forest, Colorado, even Big Lake, Alaska. Do you guys know where that is? I do, because I had to look it up. It's in the Juneau area. Okay, so so we had all of these different places that that were placed out there. There was also one up in uh, Eagle's Nest, um, New Mexico as well. Uh, I put an application, and Mark says he remembers seeing it, at over at Hope. I also put an application down at the ranches, uh, but and we got interviews at the ranches, but they said that you could only have two kids. And I was like, well, you're not going to tell me how many kids God's going to have us to have. I mean, if we have 12, then we have 12. But I understand why they need it, but it was, not, it was something that kind of said, no, that's probably not for us. So I love the thing that that Heights had. Heights was committed to youth ministry because they said they wanted me to sign a five-year contract if I got hired. Secondly, they sent out a doctrinal questionnaire to make sure our views lined up. I really respected that. Only a couple of churches did that. This one and the one uh, in Black Forest, Colorado. Black Forest, Colorado, I got down to one of six before I was cut. And then I called down here because I had heard that I was down to one out of three. And I called a man named Don Dewberry. Uh, Some of you are actually from his church. Well, the the Algrams are not here today, but the Algrams actually came from the Boleyn church because Don Dewberry, who was here as an elder, became pastor down there in Boleyn. And he was the one who was on the hiring committee and my contact person. And so I called him up and I asked if I was still uh, in consideration for that. And he told me, well, yeah, I am. I've been narrowed down one to two. I would find out two years later, had I not called, he would not have called me back and I would have been narrowed down one to two. So it was interesting. It was an interesting conversation that I had had with him. And it was two after, two years after I was hired. Second thing is, um, so I got, I got down here, I got interviewed. The other person they were interviewing was somebody from in town. There was a local Albuquerque person that I was up against. And, and because of my doctrinal questionnaire and because of the statements of faith and the direction of ministry that I wanted to go concerning what the elders had heard, everybody was in agreement that... They wanted to choose me and had me and my family fly out, and then they voted on me, and and here I am, 19 years later, I'm still here. The interesting thing is, when when my uh, resume was brought here, all these little details come out afterwards, right? So when my resume was brought here, one of the questions on the elder board was, what's Toccoa Falls College? I don't know anything about Toccoa Falls College. Is that a good college? Is that a bad college? Well, it turns out that the pastor who was interim, uh, who was interim pastor who would be pastoring for ten years here, Pastor Don Kimbrough, just happened to go to this same college for one semester back in the 1950s, and was able to tell the elders, nope, it's a good college, and and it's a it's a good college because I went there to this college <laughs> back in the 1950s." On top of that. I would find out, now you have to remember, back when we're looking 2000, 2001, we take for granted the internet, but the internet was a very new creation at the time. So when you were online, you were cutting edge just being online 20 years ago, okay? And so I was trying to search for places online, Heights was trying to find a youth pastor online, and the funny thing is where they promoted and where I looked were two different places. And I would not find that out for two years when I had this meeting and sat down with uh, Don Dewberry and I asked him a very innocent question at the time saying, where did you find me at? Because the only places I looked for, they started with youth. One was youthpastor.com, one was youthministry.com, the other one was ministry something and the other one was ministry something. So they were easy keywords for me to remember. It was youth and it was ministry. That's where I looked. But the place that he went and promoted from started with a g i still don't remember the name of it but i i I said i i never looked at a place that started with a g ever now could it be that they networked with them and that's how i got it possibly but the internet was very very new at that time and there wasn't a whole lot of that going on and so all of these things come together that i find out after i've been hired and i want you to just think about this for a moment i came out here in 97 i prayed over only three cities I prayed over Albuquerque, Santa Fe, and Taos. Nothing else. What are the chances that the church I would be hired from, the one church that was from Albuquerque would hire me from, would hire me because they would listen to a pastor who had been put in that position and happened to go to the same college I did for one semester and none of the elders had ever heard of it before. That they had also found me online, but they didn't search the same website that I did. Like I said, whether they networked or not, I don't know.
1: But at the same time, I wasn't familiar with what he said, and he had no idea about the sites that I was looking at. That it would be in this exact area, not up in Eagle's Nest
0: not in any of these other places, that I'd have to jump congregation uh, denomination from Christian Missionary Alliance to a Christian church because there are no Christian and missionary alliances here. That all of these other places who were looking at me ultimately said no before this place said yes. And the day we were leaving or the weekend we were leaving from Georgia to come here, got the call from Big Lake, Alaska because they wanted to further pursue me going there missed out on my Alaskan adventure, right? See, I can look at all of this and think about this. I held off from ministry from 1999 until 2001 when I was called.
1: 1999, there wasn't a need here for a youth pastor. All of these little things, all of these little
0: details shows me that the hand of God was totally upon my hiring in this
1: place at that time. How many times do we overlook all of those little details that it takes for it to happen?
0: See, that's what we're gonna look at today in Ezra is every little detail. Now, Mark did such a great job in the setup last week, and he talked about uh, the, this section of Scripture. And we're going to take a look a, a little bit deeper at some specific areas of Scripture. We're going to go over the same story that Mark had talked about, about how they were in exile, how they were being brought back, how they got to start building on the temple. And then troublemakers came up to make them stop building on the temple. And then they, they wrote a letter And they were given favor by the king to rebuild that temple. Not just rebuild the temple, but rebuild it and have all the materials paid by the people who were causing them trouble. Pretty cool, huh? That's what we're going to look at in more detail. But when you see the little things that are in the midst of all of this and all the hands of God in every little detail, I pray for you, as as I do for myself, that we will begin to recognize
1: just how pervasive God really is in our lives. Ezra chapter 1 in verse 1.
0: In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it into writing. And basically that proclamation was, I'm going to let the Jews go back and build a temple you know, and we'll read that procl- proclamation in whole uh, a little bit later, and they begin to do that, and they get excited, because now they are back, they get to worship, they've had much worse time than we have with COVID, you know, they've been gone 70 years from their place of worship, it's been destroyed by God, and now they get a chance to rebuild the place that, they, this is a place where God's name is supposed to be, right, and so now they're looking forward to the opportunity of worshiping God in a way they haven't been able to worship in a generation. An entire generation hasn't been able to worship. And so we look at Ezra chapter 3, and they start the building, and it's really awesome because they are so excited. And it says, verse 10. Chapter 3, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments, with trumpets, and the Levites, and the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. And with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. The weeping was for a number of different reasons. One, relief that they are finally getting to see this temple being rebuilt. And they were also weeping. We see when we look at Haggai, when we look at the prophet Haggai, that, that they were worried about how small it was in comparison to the ornate temple that Solomon had before. And so you have this combination of feelings, but at the same time, they are so excited because they finally get to worship God in spirit and truth again. They finally get to worship
1: where God said, this is where my name will be. And they've been gone for 70 years, and they're excited.
0: I think we get a little bit of that right now. How many of you were excited to come back to church? Seriously. It's like, I'm back. Woo! Yes, some of you who are online, you may not be there, but when you get here, it's going to be like, I'm back. I'm so happy. I'm here. Yes, I'm so sick of being at home. Okay? That's what you're going to do. I'm just saying. All right? And and they get to get that, and they start building on it. They don't get it finished. They get the foundations laid, and then troublemakers start coming up. And those troublemakers say, you know what? Those Jews, don't you know about those Jews? They write to the king. They say, don't you know about those Jews? They caused all types of trouble. You don't want them finishing this temple. Not at all. You don't want them doing anything without our help. And so an order is given to cease and desist. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You can't, you can't worship, Can't. no more building, that's done, it's over with. And this break would be about 17 years period of time. And during the 17 year period of time, they would build on their houses and they would have other things go on. And Haggai would encourage the people at some point saying, hey, you've built on your houses, you need to be focused back on the worship of the Lord and his temple. And so the leaders write down a letter pleading with the king saying hey we were given a command by your king cyrus in the past
1: that we could build this temple please let us finish it please pre-please and so what we read as a result of that if we turn to ezra chapter 6 Reading the first 12 verses, we see the decree
0: of King Darius. And King Darius then issued an order, and they searched in the archives and stored stored in the treasury at Babylon. And a scroll was found in the citadel of of Ekbatana, Ekbatana, Wow, in the province of Midia. And this was written on it, memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices and let its foundations be laid. It is to be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. With three courses of large stones and one of timbers, the costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple of Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, are to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem, and they are to be deposited in the house of God. And then and then and and now then, Tatnei, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozini, And you, their fellow officials of that province, stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work on this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt, wine, and oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem must be given to them daily without fail so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. Furthermore, I decree that if anyone changes this edict, a beam is to be pulled from his house and he's to be lifted up and impaled on it. And for this crime, his house is to be made a pile of rubble. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts his hand to change this decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. Man, what a letter to get back, right? I mean, that's not, that's not just an emphatic yes, right? There's emphatic yes, and then there's, we're going to take a beam from your house and impale you on it if you try to stop this. That Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: what can I do for you? Okay, so that's, that's kind of what, what it is, right? That's a pretty strong... What happened? Because these troublemakers appealed to the king, Right? And the king said, stop, agreed with everything that they had said. Yes, I know about the history of the Jews. That's a terrible thing. What happened? We're going to look at these very verses of Scripture we've just talked about in a whole different light in just a few minutes when we look that God is in every detail that
1: is there. So going back to Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1, we actually see In the first year, Osiris, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken
0: by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it into writing. And of course, we read that in chapter 6. There are two prophecies in this one path, this one verse of scripture that is fulfilled through this. The first one is found in Isaiah chapter 44. Now understand this, Isaiah as a prophet lived before the destruction of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he lived even before the destruction of Israel, the northern kingdom. It's about 120 to 150 years before this proclamation is going to take place, and and before the destruction of Jerusalem, and then another 70 years after this uh, takes place. So we're looking at 200, 220 years That this prophecy has come forth. And I want you to listen to the specificity of this prophecy found in Isaiah 44. Starting in verse 24, going all the way through Isaiah 45 and verse 6. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of the diviners, who overthrows the leaning of the wise, the learning of the wise, and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited of the towns of Judah, they shall be built, and of their ruins, I will restore them. Please understand at this point
1: when he makes this proclamation. Jerusalem is inhabited. The towns of Judah are built. There are no ruins to be restored. This is a hundred and twenty years before that would happen. Who says of the watery deep, "Be dry, and
0: I will dry up your streams"? Who says of Cyrus, "He is my shepherd, and will accomplish all that I please"? And he will say of Jerusalem let it be rebuilt, and of the temple let its foundations be laid." This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and I will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of the darkness, uh, riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow upon you the title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there
1: is no other. Wow. Did you catch all of that? This is 200 years before it happened. When he makes this prophecy, it probably sounds
0: like nonsense to people. What are you talking about, Isaiah? The the towns aren't being destroyed, but he had already prophesied that Babylon was going to come in and destroy all that. And so he's telling them ahead of time. And we know that this is the mouth of God. And he says exactly who it is. My servant Cyrus. Not just my servant Cyrus. Some interesting things about this passage of Scripture. He says the foundations will be laid. Inside that that decree, what does it say? The foundations will be laid. On top of that, when we read in chapter 3, when the foundations are laid, everybody's so happy. Right?
1: And then the trouble comes. Right? And they stop building. It's interesting. He gives a decree
0: that the temple is to be built, but only the foundations are laid during Cyrus being king.
1: Such a small detail. And yet it's right there in Isaiah. And it's right there in Ezra. Because Cyrus isn't the king who ultimately says, let's get
0: the temple rebuilt again. it's Darius later on because he had to search the archives of the previous king
1: how interesting, right? And yet God gets it right on every detail. Every little detail
0: is correct. Not just of Cyrus, but his character. Though Cyrus doesn't acknowledge me. Cyrus wasn't a believer in Yahweh. And God said, I'm going to cause this to happen, not because of Cyrus, not because his name will be made great. I'll make his name great, so my name is made great, so everybody knows that
1: it's God who's orchestrating this. All that from verse 1. Dude, that's crazy.
0: And then we look and he, he talks about uh, Jeremiah and the prophecy that they were going to be gone for 70 years. And that's found to Jeremiah chapter 25. And verses 8 through 14 says this. So I want you to hear the context of this passage. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, because you have not listened to my words. Remember, Jeremiah is a prophet at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. So this is around 590, 586, somewhere around that area where this prophecy is being said. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Notice how he just calls them by name, right? These are my servants. I don't care if they're pagan kings. I will use them to my purpose declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin, and I will banish them from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and the bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp, and this whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring upon that land all the things I've spoken against it, all that's written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations, and they themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings, and I will repay them according to their deeds and the work
1: of their hands." So the 70 years starts with Babylon, right? But
0: Babylon's going to be overthrown. And they're going to be punished. And that's when freedom's going to happen. And you'll notice, they're not let out of Babylonian captivity by Babylon. It's Medes and Persians that do it. Exactly as God has said, after 70 years. And Babylon is no more. Because it's been
1: overtaken and overthrown exactly as God has said. But what about a change in the king's heart? That's kind of crazy, isn't it? We have this
0: happy-go-lucky king that all of a sudden says, yeah, Jerusalem's a bad place. We don't want that temple built anymore. Stop building the temple. So only the foundations are built, just like it was said that Cyrus was going to have the foundations laid, and that was it. 17 years pass, Haggai is encouraging the people, you need to be building the temple. They write this letter out to get the permission to be able to do so. And Darius comes back and and he searched diligently. Don't you find it kind of odd that a pagan king would work so hard to find the decree that
1: Cyrus had said? Why, Why bother? Seriously, has that ever crossed your mind? Well,
0: see, there's a little thing that happened. If you and I, it's a story we know so very well, but we don't always connect it with what's happening in Jerusalem with Ezra at the time. But if you turn to Daniel chapter 6,
1: and those of you who may know your Bibles very well will recognize that Daniel chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den.
0: And the whole premise of Daniel in the lion's den, what happens is that when Darius was new in his kingdom and he had become king, the the people who had risen up to power had had things against Daniel who was also risen up in the ranks and considered highly among the leadership that was there. He's an old man at this point. If you ever see Daniel in the lion's den and it shows him as a young boy, that's not accurate. He was taken to Babylon as a young boy. He's probably in his 80s right now. Because he was there throughout the captivity. So he's 80s, late 80s, maybe 90. So Daniel and the lion's then man, is even more impressive when you think you throw an 80-year-old out to the lions. Yeah, they're going to fare real good against the lion, right? A young man has a
1: chance. But an old man ain't got no chance whatsoever. And so Daniel and the lion's den takes place
0: because... The people who are against Daniel says he always prays to a god. So here's what we're going to do. King, put it down that everybody should pray to you and you alone. That's it. Daniel didn't do that. And because he wasn't, he was thrown into the lion's den. And listen to what it says afterwards. In verse 25, obviously, if you know Daniel and the lion's den, he's not touched. He comes out, O king, live forever. He threw threw him in there, reluctantly, didn't want to do it, but it was the law of the land, and he didn't want to lose the, the favor of all the people. So he obeyed, and God showed himself real. And so read verse 25, it says, Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian.
1: Think about that for a moment. Could it be that Darius searched pretty hard? Because
0: this had happened. Recent in his memory, realizing
1: that there really was a God that was protecting his people. And where he wouldn't look otherwise, he's now seen
0: the power of this God. And so, what would you do if you had witnessed a miracle like Darius did? I think I'd go search every archive I could find to find out if that were true. And if it were true, which he found that it was true, uh uh-uh. You ain't going to mess with them. I've seen the power of this God. Whether I believe in this power or not, I've seen the power. I've made a decree that goes through all peoples, all nations that are within our kingdom. You leave them alone. You let them build it how they're supposed to build it. And not only that, let me tell you how bad it is. If you mess with them, I will take down a beam from your house and impale you on it. That's how I'm going to get my point across that you're not messing with them. Yes, sir. And not only that, everything they need, everything they need, whether it be materials or monies or things to worship or or things for sacrifice, you're to provide all of it and to provide a daily sacrifice so that they might pray for the welfare of the kings and their sons. Think about
1: that for just a moment because he'd seen the power of God up front. Man, that's... All that intersection to get to the worship of God.
0: Things that, when you put these books together, Daniel's being written in Babylon. They don't know this. This is being written over where the Medes and the Persians were, right? So they don't know this is going on at the same time that they're asking for this stuff in Jerusalem. It's not until we have this all compiled together that you get the whole thing. It's kind of like me stepping two years later having a conversation with Don Dewberry and hearing more amazing things about how in the world I got here and know it's just by the hand of God because those were details that were not known before. But we have the written word because he was preserving it both here and there so that we would see how awesome God is
1: and how he's in every single little detail. And what's the result of it? The only result that it can be. Praise and honor and glory for God, right? Isn't that that where it should be?
0: Ezra chapter 6, verses uh, as we finish up the chapter, starting in verse 13. Then, because of the decree King Darius had sent, Tatiani, governor of Trans Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozini, and their associates carried it out with diligence. (laughs) I would too, right? (laughs) No more complaints. We didn't do what you say. So the elders of the Jews continue to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. So we know that Haggai and Zechariah are there at that time too. And the intersection of their messages go with this as well a descendant of Edo, and they finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. And the temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests and their divisions and the Levites and their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. And on the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. and been able to do that. The priests and Levites had purified themselves and were all ceremonially clean. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for their brothers and the priests and for themselves. So the Israelites who had returned from exiles ate it together with all those who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. And for seven days they celebrated with the joy, the feast of unleavened bread, because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them
1: in the work on the house of God and the God of Israel. And they don't even know all the story. They don't even know all the story. How many times do you and I take for coincidence or dumb luck things that God is working in the background of our lives? Little things that we think, oh, it was just fortunate I found that twenty bucks when I needed that gas money. Oh, that, you know, just it just worked out that way, that
0: I uh, I was able to get this time off right when we needed this blank name it surgery whatever, and I was able to get this time off and I, I didn't plan it, but lucky for us. And how many times do we take credit?
1: For something God is working out in our lives. Even you being here today. All of you who are here. Who are
0: are members of the church. All of you who may be visiting. Whether you're visiting for here and online. Why are
1: you listening to this message? To hear about a God who is in every detail of life. In every detail. Every detail. Good, bad, ugly. Every bit of it. And there's only one reason why he's in every bit of it.
0: You ever thought about those things? Ever thought about why you're born, where you're born, what you're doing? I can tell you the word of God tells us that, but we don't always believe that, right? Acts chapter 17, Paul talks about that very, very clearly because these little serendipities that we see in Ezra is part of God's larger plan. I told you it was going to happen. I told you it was going to happen. I told you it was going to happen so that God's name will be made great in Israel again uncompromised, so that they will be able to understand how much God loves them by bringing them back. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 31. I'll reference it all the rest of my life. You guys are going to get sick of hearing these verses, but you should know it as believers in Christ. Paul's on Mars Hill. He's talking to all the people who are there, And he says this incredible statement. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. And God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of, our own, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore since we're God's offspring we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by man's design and skill in the past God overlooked such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed and he's given proof to this of to all men by raising him from the dead You know why you're at Heights Christian Church today you know why you're watching online today You know why you were born in the country you were born in. You know why you were born in the family that you were born in. No matter how great or dysfunctional they are. You were born in your situation, in your circumstances, because God appointed for men the exact time and places that they should be born for one purpose and one purpose only, that men would reach out and grope for him and perhaps reach out
1: and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. That's why you were born where you were. That's why the person halfway around the world was born where they were. And God can reach them. You know why? Because he's in every detail. Every detail. There's nobody that God can't reach, but we don't always believe that. We think we have to reach him with us, right? God didn't reach Paul with us. He reached him with himself. I still think he can do that, don't you?
0: No matter where people are around the world, if they will seek him
1: with their whole heart, reach out, grope for him, and perhaps find him. Because he's not going to say, I'm going to stay hidden from you if you seek me. And for us as believers in Christ, Romans 8, 28, it's something we know well. We
0: should know well. And if we don't, we should be reminded of these things. That God
1: works all things And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. See, I don't know
0: what you guys are going through right now as believers in Christ. And I know things are are strange in our COVID-related economy and craziness. And God isn't calling these things themselves good, but what he does do for his people, because he's in every detail, is that
1: he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And how many times we're yelling, God, where are you? What's going on? See what's going on in my life. Yeah, I know. I know. I know exactly what's going on in your life. I put you there. At that time. During that pandemic. During a time where it's hard for you. And I will work it for your good. If you're called according to my purpose,
0: that's his promise for believers because he's in every detail. But do you and I believe it? Really believe it? Or do we think we can manhandle our situations
1: and make them into the will of God rather than conforming to the will of God? That's the difference. Because when we conform to the will of God, when these little things happen, he gets all the glory. You know why? Because he caused it to happen anyway. You and I forget that. So much, especially when it's hard times. But when those hard times break, I pray that we
0: see that it's the hand of God. I really do. I pray we see his hand even in those hard times. I pray that you and I don't forget that God is in every detail. He really is. And to be seeking for those details every day. Every day
1: so that we find reasons to praise him every little thing it's not just a coincidence it's not dumb luck and there's a
0: reason why you and i have the opportunity to celebrate and worship jesus those of you listening online those of you who are here today there's a reason you're here hearing about the message of christ and the goodness of god because he's in every detail he really is if you'll come to know Christ as Lord and Savior who work all things to your good. He won't make everything good in your life. But he'll work all things to the good of your life. That's something we get to hang our hats on as Christians.
1: As believers in Christ. And I pray it's something that's not lost on us in these trying times. Do you stand with me? Man six chapters of Ezra I don't know it got more glorious
0: for me it was like that's awesome man that's awesome it was like boring at first you're reading all the there's these bulls that are going back to Jerusalem and yeah there's priests going back but this is all preparation 70 years of exile 220 years of prophecy and the same God who worked in every detail there worked in every detail to bring Jesus to the cross to die on the cross for your sin and mine making sure every detail was fulfilled, and says to you and me that if you'll follow me, follow Christ, not me, follow me as I follow Christ, you know, but if you'll follow Christ with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, man, this is just the beginning of the things you'll see. Let's just not forget that he's in every detail. God, thank you. So much for today. God, thank you for the gloriousness of your word that points to just simple little things here that show your fingerprints all over it. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, in our lives to recognize those little things and to realize that your hands are all over it. Whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're ugly, Lord, that you promise according to your word, that those called according to your purposes, that you work those things for good for your people, that your name and the name of your son, Jesus, might be glorified. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to be people who glory in the name of Jesus, no matter our circumstances. Help us to see your invisible hand in all of the little details of our life, that you may receive all the glory due you, to the best of our ability, Lord. So that the name of Jesus will be magnified and glorified, not just by our lips, but by those around us whom we would love to see come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this time, dear Heavenly Father. We're gathering back together after being in exile for just a short period of time. We can experience this, dear Heavenly Father, so that we can celebrate like never before because of what you've done in Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. My prayer for you guys this week, don't forget all those little things that are happening. God's in control of every detail. If you want to learn more about Jesus, don't know about Jesus, the elders will be up here. We'll be happy to talk to you or pray for any need that's going on in your life. And we would love to hear a testimony going forward if God is answering those little prayers. That's why we have our testimony time so that we can
1: continue to praise God for what he's doing. God bless you guys. Have a great week and we'll see you next week.